Blog Talk Radio.
true kindness, sprouting wings and flying, effortless health, perpetual motion, self-discipline, open communication, family unity, time travel, clear vision, speed of life, world at peace. Nothing impossible, nothing improbable, it's inescapable, nothing Susan Laris and Dan's back live. I understand that the guest is attempting to call in, but um, we have some wonderful upgrades going on on Blog Talk Radio, and um, right now he's unable to get in. So we're going to have a musical evening here for a moment while I attempt to connect to him. Um, It would be nice if we could do this telepathically (laughs) and extend our consciousness that way, but at this point I need to rely on the phone and doing something a little bit innovative here to see if I can get him on the line. So um, I am just going to play something else. Let's see. Uh, What do we have here in our selection? Okay. Um, This one is very transcendent. I play it every once in a while. It starts out sad, but it's also just a very uplifting song. So I'm going to go ahead and play another one by Grammy Award-winning Larry Sire. This is You Fly, and the voice on this, by the way, is David Wilcock, um, and this is from the Wanderer Awakening collection that Larry and David did together. So while we're listening to this, I will see if I can manage to get our guests on the show. You look wonderful today I hope that what the doctor said is not true. You 
exploration in his recent book, Crop Circles, Young, and the Reemergence of the Archetypal Feminine. And I have to say, having spent time with this book, and it is a book that one needs to spend a great deal of time with, and I would like to spend even more time in it. Um, it is a beautiful exploration of connecting things together that you may not normally think would be connected. This book goes far beyond crop circles, yet it also very directly addresses our um, intrinsic discomfort with the phenomenon and relates it to some very broad issues. Now, just to tell you a little bit more about Gary, as I bring him on the line here in a moment, um, he has a master's degree in psychology and a bachelor's in philosophy. He speaks worldwide. He was recently on Coast to Coast AM, where I happen to hear him, and he is the developer of our archetypal nature, and this is a course in Jungian psychology. And he's studied crop circles worldwide, and he has an innovative way of looking at them. He has also produced a very special symposium last year, the Synchronicity Matter and Psyche Symposium. And he is about to launch a webinar series spawned from that and going beyond that, which we will talk about. And he's also involved in an upcoming film. So without any further delay, I would love to bring Gary Bobroff on the line. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hi, it's great to be with you, Susan. Well, I'm very happy that we were able to connect, and I'm not quite sure how to interpret the delay, and I think that that perhaps is a a way of launching into this discussion tonight, which I think we're only going to be able to brush the surface of such a deep topic. Um, and I think one of my first questions, which I believe was actually surfaced in a blog post of yours recently, is we're going to define synchronicity in a moment, but also on our paths when something happens, like a show delay, like right now, how we integrate that into our experience. What does it mean in a in a greater sense? And and how does the study of synchronicity and young help us to better understand that? Yeah. Okay. Well, to start with, I think a synchronicity is something that that comes along your path that is so directly connected to an inner state that the correlation between something going on in an inner way and something happening in an outer way is just undeniable. And yeah. that has huge ramifications when that happens for us in a personal sense. It has huge ramifications to our culture and the crisis of our culture because our culture is really sick from a, a splitting of matter and spirit that we we think that there's no life or spirit or creativity or consciousness in in the things around us but that those qualities only exist in human beings 
And so we've made the earth bad and we've made the world bad and we make, you know, heaven and upward kind of psychological values, whether they be secular or religious. Uh, we've made the upward movement, the, the good movement, and made everything that's the downward of the earth and of matter bad. And then along comes synchronicity. synchronicity and we start to see that that's an illusion, that's a, a fantasy, it's an illness that we're suffering from, and synchronicity wants to pop that bubble and have us come back to the conversation of the whole, of the earth, of the spirit, you know, the magic in the world around us. And that's that's why it's so important that we that we heed those things and pay attention to them. Yeah. You know, one of the themes of your book, Gary, that I feel you really bring bring through is just the the male side that we tend to have focused on. Like like for example, just playing with playing with this idea a little more, just entering into this show, is that, you know, my tendency as a technologist, having been a computer scientist, is to say, oh, you know, there's software in beta or, you know, there's a technological reason why we're delayed. And yet the, and this maps, I think, to the crop circles as well in the sense of, you know, you want to figure out why, you want to figure out how to make it work. There's all these concrete questions and the the question that you want to be asking sometimes is, you know, what is the higher reason for our experience? And what is the higher reason for these crop circles, which I'm bringing front and center here tonight, even though I know um, the show is focused on synchronicity, it's just you talk about how we are somewhat hesitant to talk about crop circles in our culture because of this, this shaming that can go on. And I want to, really, there is a mapping here as to what these crop circles invite us to do and how they take us away from the mind-based analytical approach. Yes. <laughs> that was yes, a long yes. question. <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So let's start with the beginning of your question, which was, you know, <clears throat> this notion that this thing that we all tend to do, and I see people doing it all the time, and I'm sure I do it, which is we invest the technology that we've created with perfection. Yes. We invest, we, we take, we take, you know, you know, um, Nietzsche and, um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and a lot of people said a hundred years ago, they said God is dead. And what did they mean? They meant that the masculine principle is not animating us anymore, that those images of God aren't working for us anymore, and that that psychological direction of up, up, up isn't working. So that we, we've lost, you know, the, the animating gods are dead. So where do we put that that energy and that awe and that wonder about reality and the you know, what's going on and that you know the way that thousands of years ago primitive human cultures carved the venuses of of willendorf and different figures like that and invested the maternal image with their awe well now all that energy through our development of science and technology is going into us so we actually are worshiping ourselves and we're lost yeah. 
in this narcissistic grandiosity. And so we put God into technology. So where where is God now? It's in your iPhone. It, it's that thing that you just can't do without, that you can't imagine not having. I have to have this functionality. I have to constantly be checking it. You know, that is a, a shadow worshiping of God. And, and you can tell that people put God into their iPhones because... You know, they, they expect to have all the answers, like you were saying. You know, oh, it must be beta. There must be something wrong with it. Well, that iPhone or whatever kind of technology you use, it's a really fancy jukebox, okay? It's a really, really, really fancy go-kart, you know? Yeah. Uh, there is no magic in there. There's no soul in there. There's definitely no God in there. And it's very dangerous to be be doing that because we're, we're essentially worshiping ourselves. And it's only when you're doing that kind of stuff that you can destroy the planet because you're disconnected completely from the world. You don't see the wonder in the world. You don't see the awe in the world. So, and we're doing that in a masculine way, as you, as you referenced. And the, the masculine in us today, you know, really demands that we all have a sort of persona of certainty, that we know the answers, we have the answers, we always say the right thing, that sort of thing. And we can never be wrong, we can never be vulnerable, etc. And so, you know, as we break down in the crises and mysteries of our time, um, we're starting to see that that masculine response is not sufficient, it's not healthy, it's not helping us, it's not taking us anywhere. And that there's these, this compensation in us wants to go towards the feminine. It wants to go toward emotion and feeling and embodiment and relatedness and the earth and honoring the earth. And ultimately, what it wants us to do is to discover the blockages in our life, in ourselves, in our soul, in our psyche, to understanding our place in the world, to feeling the magic of our containment in a larger story of the world's unfolding that wants us to connect with it and to feel ourselves connected and a part of a greater magic and a greater unfolding story in the world. And so synchronicities can do that, and crop circles can help us do that, I think, too. But synchronicities definitely are are a path to that. And I think that's an individual journey for all of us, but I think it's the direction that we can take some comfort in knowing that's the direction that's being pointed out for us. Now I have a question in that um, I know that, um, as I said, I I started out as a technologist, although not really. Um, I'm, I was a human interface person mostly. Um, but the the question I have is, could it be, Gary, that if we somehow embrace the technology that we have, like what's allowing us to speak right now, within that nurturing, expansive way of looking at it um, and view it as more of a launching point so that we can communicate and until we can be telepathic, which may be next if we evolve, I believe it is, is it then easier to put it in its place, I guess would be the question. And, you know, not not make it an other totally out there demonized, but just it's it's something we're going to get beyond, and right now we're going to use it. We're, it it's, a, it's a tool to help us 
to connect. Is that, do you think that that, that would help us to, to look at it that way now until we can transcend higher? Well, I don't think we're going to get away from it. I mean, there's no, I mean, we have to use those tools and, you know, be involved in the technology of the world in order to connect with human beings. And the, the beauty yeah. of the metaphor, the beauty of the metaphor of something like the internet is that it, it, it does metaphorically, uh, you know, we're all connected on a certain level and all that. And, and that, that is a very appropriate image for our moment and our time. But, uh, you know, if, if and I would say that what we need to do is to use the masculine principle of objectivity and certainty and strong ego to separate bad from good, light from dark, healthy from unhealthy, um, and, and really use that object, uh, objective principle that we've really strongly developed in our history of our evolution of consciousness to keep us safe as we move forward. But But the direction for me and from my point of view, has to be toward the feminine, which means back towards embodied human animals, plants, the earth, and away from technology as a route to solving our problems. I mean, I think there's good uses for yeah. it and, and all that, and I love what certain people are doing in certain ways to solve certain problems, and that's all great. But we're too invested in that mode, and we have to turn to a mode that that grounds us, you know, in in reality. And so I would be cautious of that. There's so much in our culture that pulls us in this direction that is away from nature and out of our bodies and up into our heads. You know, every sci-fi movie, yeah. not everyone, but a lot of sci- sci-fi movies, you know, the decor is sterile and clean and germless and spotless, right? That's that the fantasy of we're going to get further away from nature, which is not true. Um, And and you see that in things like climate change, where we're getting hit with these tsunamis and and whatever else, wildfires that, that bring us closer to nature in a way that we don't like. That's the dark side of the feminine. That's the dark side of learning about what we've done to the planet. So I'm leery of, of solving a masculine imbalance with more masculine. You yeah, I mean? and I I actually tend to agree. It I mean, I think there's a in fact it's kind of a synchronicity that you mentioned Hawking in your book how he talks about he assumes that other societies are going to be advanced technological societies and potentially hostile as if they're just going to like we inevitably will go down that path and they've gone down that path. And it's synchronistic because I had just referred to Hawking in a conversation recently and that very thing, but which is kind of funny. But the the thing is, is that um, it's an assumption, isn't it, that that we're going down this this non-nurturing, more mystical path or higher consciousness path. Um, just because we assume that that's where technology takes all civilizations. Yeah, yeah, and I think Stephen Hawking that you're referring to there, where he says that if there's, a, you know, if there's other life forms out there, they must have used up all their resources, and soon they'll be coming right. for ours. I mean, that's just right. classic, classic projection. He's he's taking our psychological current state and projecting it onto every other life form in the universe, which, of course, is ridiculous. 
Um, so, yeah, there's that, and, and we continue to do that um, so much ourselves uh, in so many ways today. Yeah. Now, I want to. We kind of we we jumped right into um, a lot of a lot of just unusual discussion, and I thought maybe we would backtrack just a little bit and and talk a little bit more about how synchronicity is operative in our lives. You've had um you've talked for example about how um people use it for certain expectations. Like like how do we interpret the synchronicities on our path? That often we might have the wrong interpretation or you know, I think this is a big question as to how we deal with the synchronicities that we encounter on our path and determine what they're actually saying, where where they're taking us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the big the big problem is the ego, and yes. with interpreting a synchronicity, um, you know, we all want it to be what we want it to be. Yes. And that's that's where the trouble begins, and so. You know, it is very difficult to have something really powerful cross your path and then let it work you enough that you get to the real meaning of it. So there's that piece. I, I think the other piece that's important to know is that, you know, anytime you have a really magical synchronicity that you feel and, and know and experienced in your life, that there you you have to acknowledge that on some level you're being honored on some level, the universe is seeing you, connecting with you, pointing you in a yeah. in a meaningful doorway. Um, very often, synchronicities are future-oriented rather than past-oriented. Um, so it's important to think about what what am I being called to turn my life into or embrace in more wholeness going forward. You know, can I ultimately find my place in the in the big mystery and and really know that and feel that. Um, yeah. But again, you know, our culture really lives in, um, you know, an, an instant gratification frame of mind, and, um, and um, you know, even with something like you know, manifesting and law of attraction and that kind of stuff, you know, which which has a place, and I think there's a certain, uh, it's good to have a positive frame of mind, and it's good to have a vision of where you want to go in your life. But I think very often nature or the universe or whatever you want to call it has a a deeper, more mysterious plan and path for us, and that yeah. if you're if you're overvaluing overvaluing your ego and and placing so much emphasis on your picture of what you want the future to be, you might be missing some big pieces that the universe is trying to wink you into seeing. And I think, you know, the further down the path you go, the more that's going to be asked of you and uh, there's a certain reassurance that comes from synchronicity, but there's also something that's asked of us as well. So, you know, I, I'd say if you want hands-on instructions on how to deal with the synchronicity, um, you know, come first of all, come join us in the webinar that we're doing on September 27th, and we'll, we'll talk a lot yeah. more about that. And, and really, my my my, my co-host in that, um, Cynthia Cavalli, is just finish, finishing a PhD on synchronicity and um you know, one of the things that she looks at is how synchronicities come at certain points of change and points of, of 
of transformation in our lives. And so how can we sit with that? How can we tend that? How can we hold that? So that's really one of the biggest themes that we're going to be looking at is is how we can do that or how do we fail to do that and, and how is it how have people done it in the past and how people failed to do it in the past because from the point of view of uh, the Jungian tradition that I'm a part of, you know, we can look back on certain very famous figures and know certain synchronicities and know what was going on in their dream life and see where they dropped the ball or where they succeeded. So uh, it's a big process, and I think it's what we're called to do. And, you know, in general, I think the key is to, to tend it as we would a dream and to try and be present, write it down, concretize it, write it out, start a synchronicity journal, these are all things we can do to honor uh, those experiences. But I think it's important to um, remember, first of all, that it, it it's bigger than you, and it's not necessarily just like a consumer product there for you to go, oh, now I'm going to get That's this, it. you know. Yeah. Do, do you think that there's a tendency, Gary, to to almost sometimes when you start to see them, I, 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 I can tell you this has been my weakness at times where it becomes like an oracle that's there for you all the time like you push them a little bit harder you know like like maybe the radio echoes something and it's like wow well you start looking for them more but you can almost i I think like like you had said earlier your ego can start pushing um meaning and you can really it's almost as if you need to just breathe and relax and let them come as opposed to to you know be looking for them because there's a tendency to get excited about them when they when they show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think again, it to me it speaks to this theme of between the mind and the heart, and I think yeah. the heart has has a huge role to play in this whole mystery that our culture doesn't get. Um, you know, thousands of years ago in ancient China, when the I Ching and the Tao were getting written, those were books that we're all about how we roll with the universe, how we flow with the universe, how our sincerity, our authenticity, our inner emotional connection to the larger world and the external world, that is what put, put us into correct relationship with the, with the Tao or with the I Ching. And our culture doesn't understand the importance of the heart, and so very often with a synchronicity, we'll immediately go on a head trip and trying to solve it and understand it. We do the same thing with crop circles, and I think far too much. And then we miss the beauty. We miss the fact that we're being held in this wonderful universe. Even a little synchronicity, a little music synchronicity or a radio synchronicity, there's a heart-level connection there that's going on for me. You know, music goes underneath the ego level. And uh, so it's about just, just... can we allow ourselves to feel that we're held by the universe in some way and just sit with that, I think, and then, and then you know, keep that sense and that knowing with us in a, in a longer way? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a nature expert on this show not too long ago, and he was talking about how nature can respond to us and, I had an experience, I walked a lot, and I had an experience where I was thinking about a golden dragonfly I had seen on the trail, and when I thought about it, it was there. And this is a pretty big trail, although it was in the general area, and this was another day. 
And when something like that happens, there's just such transcendent beauty. It, it, I didn't, you know, the mind wants to, to immediately look it up, right? You want to look at, well, what does golden dragonfly mean? You know, because that's the way a lot of people in the spiritual community, you know, we might think, well, what does it symbolize? And, and you know, I, I was curious, but really, can you celebrate the beauty of, of nature responding? I guess, and and I know Sheldrake, and and some of the work that you're exploring there is about this extended consciousness. That's why this was unusual, and and it seemed somewhat like what this extended consciousness is like, even reaching out to the animal kingdom. Yeah, exactly, and you know why the webinar that we're doing includes Sheldrake and Young. For me, is that with Rupert Sheldrake. When we look at him in the first episode and then we're taping an interview conversation with him where we're going to discuss some of these questions that you and I are talking about now with him and we'll tape that interview and that'll be the second episode. But Rupert, for your listeners that don't know, is a very well-trained Cambridge biologist, author of many, many books. And he, for a long time, and certainly started off as a skeptic himself, and he has many friends that are, are skeptical, reductionist scientists who don't believe that consciousness is anything more than you know the, the flickering of the brain. Um, so he designs experiments that show that consciousness is actually a field that extends beyond the body. And there's many, many books he's written. I would encourage readers to 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 purchase the sense of being stared at as one of his great books. And and in that book, he surveys many, 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 many you know hundreds of academic reports and, and puts all their findings into into sections that people can understand. So he looks at things like card guessing and um, and the sense of being stared at and even things with animals, as you were mentioning. He has another book called um, Dogs, Dogs Who Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home. And, of course, he had heard about that phenomenon, and he has very skeptical friends, and so he designed a test. And what they did was they put video cameras in the homes of people whose dogs did that. And then they uh-huh. beeped them at a certain time to, to come home. And at the moment that the owner set the intention to come home, no matter how far away, that's when the dogs went to the door. And uh-huh. so what what you get a feeling for there is the connection between the pet and the owner, that it's a feeling connection. It's connected to the intention of returning home. And all of, you know, there's there's just hundreds and hundreds of examples of this kind of stuff in the literature. And, in, in, you know, it goes back almost 100 years to biologists looking at things like the extended fields in, in wolves hunting over, you know, miles and miles away where they can't hear each other somehow being able to connect and that sort of thing. So this notion of... Yeah heart-level connection between an owner and between an animal and a human is a very interesting place to start the discussion because I think you can build from a biological recognition that there is a great deal of evidence for the extension of consciousness beyond the body. Then you flow into the psychological and the deep questions that Jung brought up, and I think you're much more grounded and you're much more able to, to get to a more... Uh, integratable place, somewhere that you can end up that that connects you to reality. And, um, you know, another example that in Sheldrake's work is uh, the sense of being stared at experiment where someone is wearing a blindfold and the person's behind them 10 feet 
behind them and signals them and guesses whether or not they're staring at, at them. And the results that Sheldrake consistently gets is about 55 to 60% correct answers. Of course, what you should end up with is only 50. And this is repeatable, 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 repeatable. So there's definitely something going on there. And we know that objectively that consciousness extends beyond the body. Um, so that once we understand that there's a field at play here, we can start to ask bigger questions and go deeper and, and try to put the whole package together. You know, it seems like more and more scientists are awakening to this sense of wonder. I know you talk about wonder as as a part of of our expansive ex- experience as a pope. Do you do you notice the Sheldrake and, and other scientists working in these domains? Is there is there a shift towards more people embracing this greater way of looking at the world, or or is there just a a resistance? Um, is the resistance getting greater? Or I mean, I know there are a lot of skeptics out there, like on the internet. There's even you know I've heard there's paid skeptics. They go after pseudoscience. You know, there's kind of a or they put it in quotes pseudoscience. I'm not saying it is. Um, there's a hostility, but is there also a shift in the direction of more people gradually coming on board? Well, I think there's a couple of different answers to that. I think when when the system that you're living under, like the one that we're living under now, is, is breaking apart in the way it is, that the old gods aren't working anymore, you get yeah. people that, and that includes the secular reductionist view of the world as just that we're all, you know, that there's nothing going on besides biological ro- robotics. That view is, you know, almost as bad as a, a fundamentalist uh, religious point yeah. of view that makes no no room yeah. for the mystery as far as I'm concerned. And both do the same thing, which is give you a little box to put God in, and then you can feel really good because you've got God in a box. Um, yeah. and, and you can do that psychologically in a secular way. And so I think those people that are just inclined to go in those directions they're frazzled. They go. They're going crazy. They're more amped up than ever, and they want to. They want to project their shadow onto these people like Sheldrake that are really, um, you know, you know, visionary pioneers that are are leading the way into our exploration of it. In general, I think there is a really big openness to these kind of ideas, but the culture does not provide very many good roadmaps. You know, I think in Jungian psychology, there is a really good roadmap, but it's not put out there uh, well enough. I think Rupert's work is great, and he's very grounded, and it's solid, um, but he's not as well-known as he should be. So I think, you know, that's a reason why I do the things that I've been doing on this level, because we have objective, you know, verifiable, grounded ways of proceeding into these mysteries, and, and the choices out there tend to be kind of new age stuff, which tends to be ego inflated, unfortunately. And then the mainstream culture that says very little about it. And then, you know, this sort of deniers on the skeptical side that never even want to look at the evidence. So, you know, there's, there's not a lot of good choices, but I think, um, you know, certainly what I'm trying to do is offer one. And I, I think there are good choices out there, but there's not enough. Yeah. Of them. Yeah, I found that, um, I mean, technically, I guess I'm sort of a part of the New Age community, and yet I've seen that 
it's really kind of expanded, and there's lots of different points of view in it. And that, and I don't know if there's any label anymore. In fact, I think that's part of what you talk about in your book, in that more and more people are gravitating towards basics. Like for me, nature. I mean, that's it. That's the key for me, is to be out in nature. Mm-hmm. And that that really feeds my soul. And not all these, you know, rules and principles and, you know, um, I just, it, it, there's a simplicity. Although, when you talk about the crop circles, which I think are really amazing, to me, the, it, the beauty of the crop circles call to me calls to me more than than anything else and it takes us outside of ourselves um just to explore that as long as we're not frightened by them because i know you talk about fear being um you know that they can be threatening to the to the the world view but um it's just an amazing phenomenon that's happening Yeah, and I think, you know, that beauty piece is something that people tend to miss and that, you know, people love the images of crop circles and they respond to it, but, you know, very often people go in kind of an interpretive route and I think the beauty of them is a big piece and that um, that we know that, you know, that they are intended to be received in that way, that they're works of art and that we can be affected by them simply by looking at them and that it again points us towards the heart to the effective emotional engagement with with something and um you know there's a very wonderful stream of of thought that people go on the crop circles and they try to interpret them and find out the symbolic meaning and all that and that can be you know good but it can also be a tremendous mm-hmm. distraction and and it and, and it, there's tremendous ego risk in doing in interpreting the crop circles because then you're you're putting your own ego trip or your own trip, imagination trip, on on this beautiful image instead of just sitting with the image and allowing ourselves to have a, a, an emotional uh, reaction to it. And that's a lot of what I do in the book is, as you say, you know, I uh-huh. talk about these sort of things that block us from really participating yeah. with, with the mystery of it. And I think, you know, simply just watching and looking at crop circles has a tremendous value. And I, I think in our time, we're called to participate far more with the heart and to really listen to that response, first of all. Yeah. Yes, and and it seems that that more and more of us are awakening to that, and then it it just becomes simpler, really. And and you know you you don't have to um, focus on 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 I, I've seen a lot of the crop circles it's a great example because you'll see people spend all day you know coming up with the the formulas figuring it out i figured it out you know there's that tendency always Mm -hmm. to want to figure things out yeah synchronicity can be that way too you know what are what are they saying you know if it'll be clear you don't have to figure it out true i mean it'll it'll come to you yeah, and when when I see that, I mean to be honest, when I see that, I, I think of it's like it's like little kids showing their their homework to their parents, or you know, <laughs> you know, there's 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 a bigger there's a I, I think a more adult to to adult relationship with the universe is what's being called of us that 
that it's not about just solving a puzzle puzzle and saying, look, God, here, I solved your puzzle. You know, not that I'm deifying crop circles, but that energy happens for us with synchronicities and crop circles and other things. And I think it's about a whole-bodied participation. So that means bringing our whole selves to it, looking at our own lives and what are the the blockages that we have to participating in the world. How can we, um, you know, find what our calling is and, um, you know, uh, rather than, um, you know, I mean, it it leads so many people down a path that I think is um, the same path of the imbalance of the masculine when you're trying to solve and solve and solve. You know, no, that's not really what we, I, I think we, we need to do as a different direction that that isn't about, um, you know, going on mental solution trips. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that we're kind of on a constrained schedule just because we, we started a little late, but I have one caller on the line who's been really patient, and I thought maybe we'd just take a really quick question from a sure. caller, if that would be okay. All right, mm-hmm. Um Jay, I'm going to bring you on the line here right now. Do you have a question for Gary? Yeah, Gary, it's a pleasure listening to the show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jay. You're welcome. My question about synchronicity. Um, uh, Carl, says Carl Young or Carl Young? I, I forget it. Dr. Young, I'll say that. He, <laughs> he, he invented the word. What does it actually mean? <laughs> well, it just means the, you know, the meaningful... Um, interconnection of outer and inner events. That's that's all it means. And he did coin the word. You're absolutely right, Dr. Carl Gustav Jung. And and that's what synchronicity means, is just the meaningful interaction of inner and outer events. And that's I mean there there can be different you know, there's a wide way in which that word can be interpreted to mean more than that. And you can have things like the extended mind and telepathy, and is that synchronicity? And is a precognitive dream, is that synchronicity? Is it not synchronicity? You know, you can take it and, and make that definition much bigger. But in the pure definition, it's just an inner state and then a re- re- uh, an inner state reflected in an outer event. Um, you know, uh, my co-host in the webinar that we're doing coming up, uh, she tells a great story about a therapist who was trying to explain to a client that their his relationship, his marriage was a, was a car crash. And he was trying to get this through them and trying to get it through them and finally just really just came out and said it. And at that moment, outside of the office was a car crash. So, you know, you can get the feeling that sometimes events are so loaded in their emotional impact inside of us and in the world that that... You know, it's as though we're carrying around these complexes of energy that sometimes they just snap into place and it's, we, we feel it inside us and something happens outside as well. But, you know, on a more, on a more um, toned down level, it's, it can be, you know, I was watching the Perseid meteor shower many years ago and there's three of us in a, uh, in a hot tub just relaxing, enjoying it all. And all of a sudden, on an iPod with thousands and thousands of songs on it, "Pennies from Heaven" comes on. You know, so that's wow, like a little. That's cool. yeah. yeah, that's like a little mini one. And and again, I think it's about mm-hmm. our emotional enmeshment in the world around us, and and coming to see that consciousness isn't just something in our heads. It's we live in a world where matter and consciousness are of one fabric. There's there's a way that the whole thing 
is connected, and our culture is so allergic to that understanding that uh, it's very hard, and we very much need that. And it's a it can be a, a big corrective for the illnesses of our time to understand that because so much of what we do wrong in the way we live and what we're doing to the planet and all that comes from the loss of that understanding. And it's 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 just a cultural thing. You know, we could get it back. We could have that understanding again. Mm. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great... Thank you much for the answer to the question. It's just a, it's it's amazing experience when when you're talking about. And I I just find that you know simplicity is the best way to go and connecting with nature and what you're talking about. And I find technology is really uh, it's really dampering uh, on our growth on this this world right now. I mean, mm-hmm. people are too involved in just uh, the illusional world. And I always say it's like you know. You put your phone away. You know, it has God called God called you, and you just you just talked about that, and I was kind of snickering when you were saying that. So, yeah. oh, see, there you go. <laughs> thank you, Jay. Well, thank you for calling. Thanks thank for you. calling, thank Jay. <laughs> Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Gary. All right, take care. Um, in the we're, actually, this show has raced by as I, I surely knew I, it would, just because um. Um, it's, it's such a rich topic, and, and there's, there's so much we could explore. But I wanted to also ask you about this movie that you're featured in called Time is Art. Can you tell us mm-hmm. just a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's called Time is Art, Synchronicity and the Collective Dream. And folks can check it out at thesyncmovie.com. And it has Rupert Sheldrake and Graham Hancock and Richard Tarnas and myself and Alex Gray and a whole bunch of great folks. And we're all just, you know, talking about uh, synchronicity and what it means for our culture. And there's a narrative story that takes us through the whole movie that's beautifully done. And it's coming out on uh, November 11th. And I'm very excited for it. So check out thesyncmovie.com. It sounds very interesting. And I know there's a teaser up. In fact, I have a link on the show page. People can just click on it and go over to their page and and see the the teaser for the movie. And then I once again want to return back to this seminar series, which, as I understand it, is is starting September 27th on Sundays um, for for five weeks. That's right. Yeah, it's 11 a.m. Pacific time, but there'll be recordings available immediately after the broadcast or shortly after. And we start with the work of Rupert Sheldrake and the ways that we can know scientifically. How, the question is, how can we know that consciousness extends beyond the body? Well, here we have the great Rupert Sheldrake, who's you know collected all the the evidence, and we can look through that, and we'll present it in week one. Week two, we'll do a show a pre-filmed um, interview with with him that we're going to be doing in a few weeks. So if folks have questions they want Rupert to address, they can um, share those with us on the on the uh, Facebook page for the event. And then from there, we proceed into Jung's understanding of synchronicity and into how we can integrate that into our lives. And we'll share some stories and talk about great synchronicities in history and really try and give people objective, grounded stuff that they can share with the people in their lives and things that we know have happened that are objectively true that completely challenge all these um, unhealthy ways that our culture teaches us to be in the world and to think about the world. And, and there's this greater picture unfolding, and we can, we can know 
the evidence for that in an objective way. And so that's what we hope to share with folks and to give you an example of how you can sit with your synchronicities and try and, you know, take them where they want to go and unfold them more in your life and bring your life where it wants to go. So it uh, it should be very exciting. Yes, it sounds wonderful. And I, I think that it's just, it's so uplifting and it opens us up when we hear about other synchronicities. And, and I know you talk about a couple of historic synchronicities in your book as well. So, um, I mean, it's just a, a wonderful time to be alive, I think, for, for many of us in that, that we're, we're opening up to an expanded world. So um, I, we only have a couple minutes left, and, and I guess I want to give you the opportunity to, to let us know your website as well, the best place to go to learn all about everything. Um, I, I have one up on the page. Make sure it's the right one for, for all your work. Yeah, I, I saw the links on the page, and those are all great. I think you've got the link for the book there, which is youngandcropcircles.net. And then uh, archetypalnature.com, archetypalnature.com. Okay. And I think you've got a direct link there to I think the I actual. Have uh, com too. I think there there are a few of them. That's why I always ask because they're they're. Yeah. You have you have several, and that's great. Just yeah, really getting the, the word out. Yeah, that's the gsbobroff.com has all my writing and articles, and has links to the webinar there, so folks can click through that way too. Gsbobroff.com. And yeah, that's how you can find me out there and join okay. join the well, ride thank for a little you. while. You're welcome. For, thank you so for much. For stopping by great. tonight, I'm so grateful <laughs> that you managed to to get in and and um, despite a little phone thing at the beginning. So I'm just so happy that you were here tonight. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. It was wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Take care, and I wish you well with you with all this wonderful work. I'll be. Looking forward to following it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Live show goes down here. We've got another show. The season is launched. I've got guests lining up here. We have Joan Serio is returning to the show this Wednesday, August 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and she's going to talk about the heart of the matter. So we're going to continue this exploration of the space of the heart. And Joan also has a scientific research background and has brought that to a very expansive place as well. So um, I'm just so excited about all the guests coming up, just really helping us to see expansiveness of this world around us, including several scientists and researchers of reality that we're exploring. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I look forward to seeing you next time. And take care and be on the lookout for those little winks from the multiverse out there. You just never know when one will show up on your path and help you find the way. Take care, everybody. Thank you.